0: Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast today. Very excited about this episode. We've got the one and only Scooter Braun on the show. He came in the studio here in Los Angeles, and for those that don't know who Scooter is, he is one of the entertainment industry's biggest power brokers, one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world billboards, 40 under 40 headliner, and one of Fast Company's 100 most creative people in business. He is the founder of the SB Projects, a company at the intersection of music, film, television, technology, brands, culture, and social good. And some of his clients today that he manages are, of course, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Carly Rae Jepsen, Cody Simpson, Tori Kelly, Sai, Dan, and Shay, Martin Garrix, Rixton, and many other powerhouses. Now, I'm excited to introduce you guys to Scooter. For those that don't know him, and we talk about a lot today. We first cover how he got into promoting clubs early on in his career in Atlanta, and we also go into how he got to know Usher and connect him with Justin Bieber early on. The big lessons he learned early in developing artists, how family has shaped him, and why it's so valuable how to build powerful teams, and how to get the best performance out of everyone that surrounds you, who his mentors currently are, why we should focus on innovation over creation, why he decided that every investment he makes needs to have a charitable component, his advice to young people, and what shifted for him when he found out he was going to be a father. Super pumped and excited to dive into this interview with Scooter Braun. So let's go ahead and jump in right now with the one and only Scooter Braun. weeks head to netsuite.com slash greatness netsuite.com slash greatness again head to netsuite.com slash greatness all right welcome back to the school of greatness podcast we got my man scooter Braun in the studio what's up brother
1: it's good to see you, man. I'm good really, to see really you. excited. We've talked about doing this for a while. For
0: a while, yeah. We uh, we originally connected through your brother, Adam, yep. who we're, uh, I'm friends with. And
1: You're wearing the t-shirt.
0: Wearing the t-shirt. Got to represent and support. Yeah, pencils of promise. I like it. And we uh, when we met at South By, I actually met you a couple years ago at the gala for like a brief second. You probably don't remember. And then- I
1: don't remember you. You you did not make a mark. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I remember
0: you. And then we met at the gala. <laughs> we met in South By. We played some basketball. We had a good time. It was a good time, yeah. yeah. we went out on that court. We got busy. It was fun, man. On that Texas court. It was fun. I, I got some random facts, uh, common facts about us to start the show. Ah. It's common facts. One is we both played basketball, football, and swimming growing up. Yes, we
1: did. You were a swimmer as well? Yes, I was. How many years? Uh, for years. On the Greenwich Dolphin. <laughs> In fact, John Waters, I just couldn't beat him. And that's probably what discouraged me from continuing to swim. And then he was like an alternate in the Olympics. So I probably should have kept swimming. No way. Yeah. Okay, crazy. So you played football too? I played football until ninth grade. And then I got serious about basketball and realized I wasn't that big. So, yeah, yeah. But I was was all about, uh, you know, hitting people as a a middle schooler.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. So those are common facts. We also both played college basketball. That is true. You played at Emory.
1: Yeah, well, for the time I was there, kind of, yeah. You were
0: there for two years, right? Well, kind of not even. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, we also both played sports at Emory because I did a decathlon at Emory. You did? Yeah, I competed there one time. It was a beautiful campus, actually.
1: Yes, it was. Actually, I was there a lot, and they thought I was a student. But you weren't a student. I'd already dropped out by then.
0: How old were you when you dropped out? 19? 19. I was 19. 19. That's incredible. Uh, We both used to promote events yes you're an event promoter in college I, yes
1: that i was for a long time i was a party promoter and event promoter for till i was probably 25
0: okay very cool i used to promote uh like these linkedin networking events when i first started back so you were in trying to like do
1: a nice things like bring I people trying, together not and like,
0: like drunk and
1: like yeah i was celebs. the drunk i was the drunk and like sierra seeing one two step and like you know Trying to get out the bottles and yeah. yeah, no, I wasn't. I was selling them. You're selling them. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. no interest in drinking never, them. I, I was selling them. But did you drink
0: ever when you were doing the parties? <laughs> no,
1: not when I when I worked. I never drank.
0: You never drank. Gotcha. Yeah,
1: I. I mean, uh, if certain cases, I might do a shot here and there with a couple buddies. Yeah, yeah. But I was about the business.
0: Jay Z's like, hey, let's do a shot. You're not going to shy away. Yeah, I wouldn't
1: shy away from from Jay Z, but it was it, but it was Atlanta, so it was more like Jeezy. It <laughs> was like, you know, gotcha. he, was, he was like, "Hello, man. I'm the Snowman. Take a shot with me." <laughs> We,
0: uh, we both um, uh, sit on the board of Pencil Promise. Yes, we do. And uh, we both believe in the hustle and the grind.
1: We do. We do. We actually do. But the real thing, uh, and we're not talking about the Terrence Howard movie. Right. It's a little bit different. <laughs> uh, hustle and Flow, we're about hustle and grind. That's our movie. Exactly. If you're Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard? Yeah, I feel like you're the Terrence Howard in this group. Okay. I'm just... The chick. You're the
0: chick. <laughs> now, what I'm curious about, I've been doing a lot of research about you. Obviously, I've heard about you from your brother. But as I've been preparing for this, I'm curious to know what your actual dream was as a kid. Because I know about your family. <laughs> and I've met your family. Your parents are incredible. But what was like? Was your dream to be, I'm going to drop out of school and, and promote these parties with no. celebrities. Like, What did you actually want?
1: When Hang I was on. a kid, I just wanted I mean, no one told me that a 5 foot 11" Jew wasn't highly likely to make it to the NBA. They didn't? No, so I was watching like They gave you hope. I was watching Mark Price and John Stockton. <laughs> I have a chance. Every every like 6 foot white guard the NBA had to offer, I was the kid who would go on like NBA, you know, live and create my player <laughs> and he just had a ridiculous jumper. And had more hops than I'll ever have. Wow! Um, but that was like my dream. And then I read. Uh, it was one summer. I read a, uh, one of Phil Jackson's books, and then I was like, "Well, Center maybe hoops." Yeah, and then I was great book, uh, man. I, you know, I was I was kind of like I want to be a coach, and then um, and then I thought maybe be a lawyer, maybe be a politician because I was uh, class president in my high school. So mm. I thought going to politics. I did the whole boy state thing. Yeah, um, and then you know I wanted to be in entertainment there for a little while. My brother was always the guy with the five year plan. I was kind of like, we'll just see what tomorrow brings, but I'm going to keep working.
0: Adam does everything planned out, it seems like.
1: Yeah, I'm the opposite. And uh, what happened was I ended up in Atlanta, started throwing parties, never been to a nightclub before college, threw parties because um, after selling fake IDs, it was a legal way to make money. I like how your cameraman just made a face like, oh my God, he said it out loud. <laughs> it's okay. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and it was very short-lived. So, um, but how, you did know, you, how did you make those? Did you have a printer? Did you, you like- You know what it was? I actually, guy, I laminate, didn't make them. I didn't make them. There was a buddy of mine who made them and he made great fake New York IDs, but he just had a really, really bad way of selling them. He was a bad salesman. So
0: you were great at like saying, hey, I can get you in this I club. S- and, well, no,
1: not even that. I just said, there's a way to do this where you're not going to get caught and we can make more money. You just have to be smarter. And I would tell you, but then college kids would start doing this, and I'd probably get in trouble and be liable for them going to jail. So I'm going to just say, don't make fake IDs. I did it. It was like a two-month thing. He broke one of my rules of what I said, look, if you ever break these rules, I'm out. Mm. And he broke it, and he said, what are you, crazy, everything else? And I said, no, I'm out. I told you don't break these rules, and I quit cold turkey. Wow. And then um, went by a nightclub um, called Chaos in Atlanta, and I said you know, let me, can I bring some people here next Thursday night and give you some money? And my first party, was a paradox and then chaos, a uh, chaos and paradox. And, um, they gave me like $800 cash. Knowing what I know now, they probably owed me eight grand, Right. but that was the first $800 legally I'd ever made. Wow. Um, you know, in that short amount of time. And I just bugged out because my summer job coaching basketball was like 1600 for the whole summer.
0: Like every day. grinding yeah, yeah. Like, And plus so taxes, day, right?
1: <laughs> you know, so, uh, so, you know, so you I made
0: just, eight, half as much in the whole in one night as you one did. One night in the and I
1: bugged out. And then I started learning the business of promoting. Funny enough, from a guy named Alex Gidawan, who was uh there were no I was the only white boy at Alex's parties. Sure. But Alex taught me about a cut line. He taught me about how to create the hype and mm. kind of the secondary market of Atlanta, like how to promote. And then I went to Miami and ended up promoting parties for a long time.
0: And how many people did you get at your first promotion your first gig i read somewhere 800 but i don't know yeah was.
1: probably about 800
0: to a thousand now how did you get that many people at your first time when you're um, a 19 year old white punk yeah, yeah freshman you know.
1: freshman in college who, um, who believed in you and trusted you to, well like, my this first party happen. was all the college kids sure and what it was um but no amp freshmen were pulling like that and what i did was i realized everybody wants to go where the freshman girls go
0: oh you had
1: a college party and I had a high school sweetheart at the time, so the girls didn't feel threatened. I could dance a little bit, so they knew, you know, they'd have a good time with me on that dance floor. And I got three really cute, awesome girls, and I went to Kinkos and I made my own flyers. Shut up. Man. And we flyered the campus, and I told these girls I like, could give you free drinks if you get people there. And wow. sure enough, uh, eight hundred people came, and I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Let's let's keep trying. Wow. Know? So uh, one thing led to another, and then I became a very big party promoter. So you did that for a couple of years, right? And then you Yeah, did... probably for about six years. Six years? Oh, yeah. You I was a party promoter until I was like
0: 25. And you dropped out of college right after, about a year after, after you started, the am assuming. I
1: started. It got really big. And then um, I started working with a, a, young, a young rapper uh, with his manager, Shaka, and his other manager, Jeff. His name was Ludacris. Sure. And he had a song called Throw Them Bows, and I started working that song, and that was my first exposure to the music business. And then there was another guy named Jermaine Dupree, who um he came he you know he came to my parties he loved him and then he said I got to meet with you and I'll never forget Jermaine's like not the tallest individual he's, he's probably, short right he's like, probably like five four I don't even know how tall oh, he is okay. he'll say five six so you're he's almost lying. eye level oh nice try five <laughs> eleven um look I love how tall people always like to talk shit <laughs> you know they they love talking shit um all right so (laughs) short people are usually smarter so we have to have some it's okay we are um (laughs) but i'm like i'm like more than average all right he's he's just a huge human being um so what happened was jermaine was took me to i'll never forget took me downstairs to this nightclub and he wanted to talk alone and he got on this stool and he's so short that his feet were dangling (laughs) and he's like man i'm gonna get you living in mansions and these parties aren't gonna be there come work for me it's so so deaf and i said okay and uh, I went and worked for Sosa Def for three years and uh, dropped out of school. And I still remember when he gave me, like, my Sosa Def puffy jacket. Like, it's kind of like a starter jacket, yeah, but it had Sosa uh, Def and sure. had a scooter on it. I thought it was the coolest guy in the whole world because <laughs> I was like, money ain't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, that was a really great ride. I learned a lot from Jermaine. Super grateful. And then, you know, I've had certain people who have given me chances throughout my career. Right, right. right.
0: Right. So were you already three to five years in the uh, promotion business when he approached you or was that earlier on?
1: No, no. I was a big promoter when he approached already. me. Yeah, so I was a already big college party promoter. Everyone knew that you could pull... our, our, we were We were the biggest revenue-wise college promotion company in the US. Right, right. And so we were doing really well on my, like, that's my seat. Chair. I was like, good. where's <laughs> that sound from? And I was like, oh, that's me. It's all good. Um, that's so, cool.
0: So you made a name for yourself and he was like, okay, this guy can yeah, consistently bring yeah. in Yeah.
1: He used to call me his Lior to his Russell Simmons. (laughs) So I do Little Lior, White Puff, I had a lot of cool little nicknames back then.
0: So what did you start doing for him? So you learned a lot in this promotional business. It sounds like you learned a lot, just like guerrilla marketing, basically, and and being creative. What did you learn while uh, at the next level? And what were you doing specifically for him? Was it more marketing Um, artists and records? Yeah, it was
1: marketing artists. It was building outside campaigns. I was the vice president of marketing at Sosa Def Records. I was 20 years old. Wow. And we went on this crazy run. Or when I signed on with Jermaine, he didn't have distribution yet. He signed on new distribution, and then we did Jay Quan Tipsy, we did Anthony Hamilton, we did Young Bloods, and then we did um, we did Usher Confessions. Jermaine mm-hmm. the executive produced that, and that's how me and Usher became close because we were in the studio every night. In fact confessions part one almost didn't happen because I was trying to get them to come to the nightclub with me. No way. And they kicked me out of the studio. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Smart move, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't, yeah, I was still learning. And while I was doing that, I was trying to create my own artist. So I was spending all my money on the side. Is this Asher or is this? No, sort of- this was, this was early on. These were, um, acts that people don't know about because it was, well, I was still learning, sure. you know, so I had this act, OD and that fell apart because they robbed a bunch of banks in Atlanta and oh my the FBI gosh. shut them down. Um, and they got caught because our mixtape I paid for to put out, they were posing and the FBI finally identified them from our mixtape that we flooded Atlanta with. And then I had this artist, Cato, who was part of OD, who I was very close with. Um, and I just financed everything for a long time. I mean, I paid for the mixes, the masters, the housing. I mean, it was just like, I was understanding how to develop an artist. And I learned a lot from that experience because Mm. I failed. Mm. Um, what were and,
0: some of the big lessons you learned, early on, you Think with that. Well, interest? I
1: learned how to make records first of all. I mean, I learned the mixing, the mastering. Um, I learned the radio promotion side independently because I was working record independently. I learned, you know, how to trust my gut at the right time. Um, and I and I hear all the time of like, oh, everything you sign, you know, blows up. But I, I had a lot of failures before Asher Roth happened. Mm. Um, and Asher was kind of a new beginning for me because it was the first time I did it without Soso so, so my back was against the wall. I had it was all my money. I had no income coming in. I refused to do parties. You had everything to lose, basically. Everything. I mean, literally, I I will never forget. I'm actually moving into my new house with my wife now, and I looked around. I said, I can't believe we live here because I remember paying for pizza with change. You know, mm-hmm. I remember I ordered this pizza and I realized I didn't have any money and I had to wait till the next party the following week. And, uh, I paid for pizza with change. And then I was quick parties, cold turkey. Cause I said, if I have to throw a party mm. again, I failed. Mm. So I, I had enough money when I signed Asher to, you know, live for about 13 months, my lifestyle. And then I was going to go broke. And I signed Asher and Justin within four months of each other. And I put everything into them. I mean, wow. housing, studio time, you know, paying for the tutor, paying for the, the furniture, paying, you know, everything. And I really believed in these guys. And, it makes it all worth it now mm. because it was uh you know i couldn't i was far away from home i couldn't go home sure. i wasn't asking my dad for money since i was 18 and um i had to make it for my on my my own and the idea mm. of failing wasn't an option did you ever think that one of them
0: wanted or both of them wouldn't be successful in their own way or that you wouldn't they wouldn't work out or you would have to find another way to make money after no i really months?
1: i really believed in both of them when i found asher i knew exactly what it could be what asher also taught me though is sometimes artists don't want to be as big as you want them to be. Asher was super happy being who he was. Mm. And I had this vision to make him the biggest artist in the world. And, you know, we had so much hype and he just, that wasn't what he wanted. And, you know, he's one of my closest friends now. He's my brother for life. And we just put out a video the other day, kind of chronicling the whole journey we've had together Uh for himself. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really nice to see because... You know, he just wanted to make music and enjoy his life and never really be famous. And you know, and he's achieved that and he's done very well for himself. And he had the big hit, he had the number three album. Wow. Um. And you know, he, I, it was a struggle for me with Justin. Justin was like, "Make me the biggest, right? <laughs> Let's <laughs> like, go, like, perfect." You know, and and you know, he was very much like me. Yeah. And um, and we, you know, grinded. And he was a young man, and you know, it was uh, it was a different thing, but. You know, when Asher made I Love College, it was in the basement of this house I was renting in this crap hole that like had rats everywhere. We used to call it the greenhouse because the truth is he was smoking so much weed down there. <laughs> um, but that night, uh, he wasn't smoking weed. Cause he never smoked when Justin was around. Uh, but he recorded I Love College and Justin actually was in the studio. Mm. Uh, he was with studio. It was like a little crap room in the basement. You know, my buddy sure. was doing engineering. But we all kind of came up together and there's this really great picture of me, Asher and Justin on the front porch of that house. Um, and no one knew Justin was, I mean, there's videos of Asher and me with Ludacris and everyone's hyped because Asher and Ludacris are in the same room and they don't notice there's this little kid sitting behind just us. Chilling. Justin. Um, so, and he was 12 when this, when he you, was at that time, 13, 14,
0: when you first had to move
1: to Atlanta, yeah, he was 13 when I had him move. I found him when he was, you know, the videos, he was 12. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, you know, just the whole adventure to kind of, you, you respect everything so much more. And it also reminds you when you get money, that tomorrow isn't promised. Yeah. And you value everything, you know, because you know what it's like to be a big promoter and have all kinds of money and then literally be paying for pizza would change because you spent mm. it all trying to make it, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, and
0: promoting know. also, you're trading your time for the one event you're like yeah. promoting for one event. Then you got to make money at another event.
1: Yeah. You're going party to party and yeah, it was, um, it was the best learning experience The Atlanta yeah. hustle taught me so much. Wow. Um, and kind of the, uh, you know, when you're in a cash business and there aren't contracts, like your word is all you have. That's it. And, you know, having that experience and, and being able to shake someone's hand and know that that's powerful and means something. Um, it was, uh, it was a very valuable lesson.
0: Wow. Now the money you had for this 12 or 13 months to, uh, bring under your two clients, I heard you brokered a deal with, was it Pontiac and ludicrous? Is that yeah. what, what happened now? What how did this come about?
1: And, um, well, I had it, it from like the parties and, and that, but it was um, I was leaving so, so deaf. Um, Jermaine and I were kind of agreeing that it was time to go separate ways. Uh-huh. I was disagreeing with kind of certain marketing ideas. I had all these ideas for social media, and I just was getting frustrated. You know, I wanted yeah. to sign different acts. And I, and, and I got great advice, one from my dad, who said, look, if you work for someone, shut up and do what they want at the end of the day, mm. or do it on your own. And, you know, put up or shut up kind of thing. And then I saw uh, Little John at a nightclub in London. And he said he worked for Jermaine for twelve years, and he had this idea for Little John, but Jermaine was focused on what he was focused on. And he said he finally left. And he said, "Don't take twelve years if you have an wow. idea that you believe in. Go after your dream." And um, and I was like, "Yeah." Uh, <laughs> no, that's not what happened. But that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. And um, that Pontiac deal, Ludacris had just got you know unfairly judged by uh, O'Reilly. Who was kind of calling him Gangster Rap, and anyone who's ludicrous knows that it's nothing like Gangster Rap. Yeah. Um, and he kind of lost all his endorsement deals. And I told Shaka, let me get you an endorsement deal. And he said, Look, the agency's not getting us anything right now. If you can bring anything in, sure. Um, and, and he
0: just broke it a, a standard ten or twenty percent commission or whatever. Yeah, I mean what, yeah, it was
1: yeah. And what what happened was um he had a song called Two Miles an hour and I said, We can do a card deal with that. And I started looking and calling around and I i bought an escalade, you uh-huh. know, a couple of years earlier. Um, and the guy who I bought it from on the dealership, you know, I've become friends with and he told me that, you know, the Pontiac, you know, was coming with campaigns and he had to ask around. So I called up the Pontiac and I said, I was a student writing for a student paper. You know, how do I do this? They said, we have an agency I called the agency. I said the same lie. I finally got this woman on the phone thinking she was going to do an interview to talk about how she decides the Pontiac campaigns. And I said, can I come see you in person? I did. And I pitched her Ludacris. She said she got a kick out of the fact that I got to her. Wow. And the movie Crash was coming out, which featured Ludacris. And she said, I'm not really interested in Ludacris. But I said, well, come see the movie. And she saw the movie. Um, and she was blown away by him. Hmm. And, uh, and she took a chance on me and on Ludacris. And we did the Pontiac Solstice deal. Um, and here's the best part. They sent down for the video. They let us shoot our own video with Brian Barber directing, who's a big director. And a friend of mine, he'd done all the Outcast stuff, a bunch of ludicrous videos. And they sent down the prototype of the Pontiac Solstice and said, mm. look, you can't drive this on the regular streets. You have to just have it at the video shoot and have it, you know. But I couldn't afford at the time to, to pay ship, to for have. the shipping of the car. <laughs> From my house where they dropped it off wow. on a flatbed and everything, I was trying to cut every corner. It's like five grand or whatever to so it. for people to understand, a prototype of a car is like a million dollars, even though it looks exactly like the regular car. yeah, when it's the first one, it's the pro so I drove that thing, oh my gosh, from my house down the highway to the video shoot. You're driving like fifty miles an hour. yeah, I, I just I just drove it and I just said, you know, I, looking back now, it wasn't very smart or responsible. <laughs> But that's what happens when you give a young kid. (laughs) Um, So this is brilliant, though. I love this story because... I drove it right onto that video shoot. (laughs)
0: Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com, where their award-winning app, State Farm, lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I love this whole, uh, your, your mindset behind... Getting the deal done and getting your foot in the door because so many people wouldn't have that idea of like, let me act like I'm a journalist at a school and wanting to do a, a, a paper, a story around this It company. was
1: deceitful though. Like I feel bad talking about it now, but you know what it but was? I if, think it's- Atlanta, it was fake it till you make it. It's hustle too. It was fake it till you make it. You know what it was? It was the opening scene of Schindler's List. You know, my, no, I'm actually serious. My, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, so uh-huh. I always had an interest. But that opening scene affected me in a different way than the rest of the movie because the opening scene, Schindler spent all his money to his name to impress the German executives- so that he actually got the government contracts because they thought he was something that he wasn't. And that's pretty much what I did with hip hop in Atlanta. Sure. I would spend all the money I made on my Thursday night parties with college kids on Tuesday night at Alex's party at the Velvet Room, where I was the only white boy with all the rappers and everything else. And they were amused. They let me in for free because they were amused that I was showing up.
0: Right. So like, who's and, this white boy?
1: Because back then Atlanta was kind of segregated yeah. as far as how they party, but I was from the north. So you didn't and, care. So yeah. I didn't, I mean, I, you know, I got my family's very diverse. And yeah, yeah. I didn't see it. But they saw me like popping the bottle and hanging out with these girls. And the truth was, I wasn't drinking anything. Sure. But I was faking it until I make it. I'd send them bottles. And they'd say, what are you doing? Oh, I want to come to your party. And then I started mixing things up. And you know, I grew my business. And sure. uh, it was it was a wild time.
0: Now, I heard you talking about your family. And I know family is really important to you. And is it true you have family tattooed on your wrist?
1: Yep, right here.
0: There you go. Now, how has family shaped you? And why is it so valuable to
1: you? Uh, well, funny enough, today is the 35th anniversary of my parents. I saw your Instagram yeah. photo. So, um, Congrats to Herb. Big yes. Herb. So I I actually meant what I wrote. Um, I wrote that uh, they showed me what real love is. Mm. You know, to have parents that really, truly love each other and are good to each other, it's such a blessing because it's so rare in today's world. Yeah. Um, And to witness that growing up and to have that love, you know, all the time, I always felt... Full, you know what I mean? Mm. I always felt safe in a way because you have that love from your family. And, you know, I'm a big person about studying happiness and trying to figure out how to become content in life. Even though I think life is a journey, it's ups and downs. You just got to understand that once you understand, it's kind of this, there's this idea in Kabbalah um, where you have to rise where God is, where it's kind of enlightened. You know, he's looking over the valley. You're in this kind of tight ravine of like a thing, imagine a Grand Canyon, Uh but really tight. Yeah. So you can't see what's around the next corner. So it seems scary. But if you can rise above and kind of see where all the turns and, the, and where the ending is, you know, it's not nearly as scary. And that's kind of what life is. Like once you start to realize it's going to be okay and you'll get through those turns and mm-hmm. there are ups and downs, but tomorrow will come, I think you, you get happier. And I think what family has taught me is there's always this steadiness. And I mm-hmm. think if you can provide, you know, for your family, if you can be, you know, build a family, which I'm now doing with my wife we're yeah. doing with our first child. You know, you do all this stuff, but what's it really worth? And I think the only real legacy in life is family and charity. Mm. You know, and when you asked me earlier, kind of if I had a five-year plan, I can tell you, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but no, good. Um, for me, my perspective is I just wanted to leave a mark on the world. I wanted to leave something Why? positive. Because I, I don't, you know, I think you only get a short time on this planet. Mm. And what's it worth unless you can do something? Right. You know, and I understand one of my mentors said, no one's going to remember you in 100 years. No one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember you. But they'll feel our impact. Yeah, and who might remember me is my children. Mm. You know, and um, so the idea of family, the idea of working your ass off to share it with someone else, is what makes it worthwhile. So to me, it's everything. I mean, it's you know, and and I don't even think I comprehend what that means until I meet this kid in February. You know, because when I meet him, I hear every. It's when is this air? Uh, A few weeks. Okay, let's not say what. Okay. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> we'll wait. You know, we'll wait. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, like I said. I'm rambling a little bit because there's no. so many thoughts I have about this. Sure. But um, but family is everything, and I think you know you look at a lot of third world countries, and a lot of people don't realize. I watched this documentary, Happy, the other day, which is yeah, really it's a great documentary. Great. And they talk about how our nation in the last 50 years has gone up 50% up in wealth. How we are richer than we were 50 years ago by 50%. Wow. But our happiness per capita has gone up less than one percent. And I think it's because we chase the dollar, but we don't understand what the dollar is for. Mm. And money is an amazing thing. It can be actually a complete release and an avenue to freedom. Sure. But it can also trap you at the same time you get caught in the rat race. And I think family is that thing that you always need to know that comes first. Mm. Um, and if you do that, you're going to live a happier life.
0: So in your 20s, it sounds like you were chasing building things in your life, making money, you know, hustling. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as much about building a family, obviously. But I
1: tattooed this on my wrist when I was 20. Wow, interesting. No, actually, hold on. Let me. No, I wasn't 20. Hold on. Let me think. Was I 20? It was. It was the day after Jay Williams had his motorcycle accident. Oh, wow. So it was June 19th or June 20th that I uh, that I did it because Jay is one of my closest friends, and I found out what happened to him. And I chickened out about getting a tattoo a couple of weeks earlier. And uh, my wow. mom, my mom had unfortunately got a little bit sick. She's okay now, and I. Uh, you know what? I realize everything I'm saying now, and I'm actually glad because once again, this tattoo brings us back to it. I tattooed family on my wrist, my only tattoo, because I said I wanted in a visible place for the rest of my life, people will ask me about this tattoo, which mm. you just did. yeah. And I will have to tell this story of why I got it, which is this simple, and it will remind me for the rest of my life. I was lost, and I was chasing the dollar, and I was chasing the money and what I because I didn't really understand. I was just going for it. Yeah. And what I realized was all I'm doing it for is this. So I'm going to tattoo it on my wrist. So for the rest of my life, I'll get asked this question. And for the rest of my life, I will be reminded of what's really important.
0: Mm. Did something shift when in your mindset and your energy or any way of being when you realized that, uh, yeah, I was pregnant?
1: Yeah, completely.
0: What shifted for you?
1: Um, You start to realize, and I I think as a man, which I've been told by everyone, and I I think it's true, you don't really understand until you see the child. It's not not inside of me. Sure. Um, So I'm excited, but I'm not like... I can't, I can't comprehend until I think I meet them. It's gonna be crazy, and I'm really excited about that. But what you start to realize is, you know, you can live for other people. You can do charity. You can, you know, I, I, I manage, so I have to. Uh, I, I'm helping people a lot. I'm helping that my, my job is to help people achieve their goals. Yeah. Um, but I think what I realized when my wife got pregnant was for the first time in my life, my wife's an adult. She can fend for herself. Yeah. Um, and if you know my wife, she can really fend for herself. She's right. Her yeah. Uh, when you become a father, you start to have this idea of, oh my God, my life is no longer mine. You know, for the rest of my life, there's never going to be a selfish decision again. I can't, you can't call me and say, yo, Scooter, we're going to Vegas. You want to come with us? <laughs> I let's go play basketball. Yeah. Right like, <laughs> yeah. It's, every decision I make for the rest of my life, I have to consider how that affects wow. someone who depends on me. Wow. Like truly depends on me. And that. Has made me respect other fathers. The moment she got pregnant, I started looking at friends of mine who are great businessmen who have kids, and I've worked my ass off, but I've been able to be selfish in my time. Of you
0: your own time, yeah. No I, one to look no out one for. Can, no one
1: to look out for, really. Like every, even my wife's an adult. Like yeah. I can do what I need to do to make it happen. Sure. And I look at some of these guys who have multiple kids, which I want, and they're at the kids' baseball game, and they're here, and then they're still handling all this business,
0: and they're present too, and completely.
1: I have so much respect for them. And I need to pull from their wisdom because I'm scared of how am I going to pull it off, but I have to pull it off. There's no other option. Mm. And I, you know, my buddy Charlie Walk has four kids and he is a workaholic like me. And I hit him the other day when I was thinking about this. And I said, Charlie, I have so much respect for the fact that you work like this and have four kids, right? you know, and, um, and I, you know, cause he's a present father. Sure. And I think that is the ultimate thing. That's why I look at people like Jeffrey Katzenberg and Richard Branson as role models uh, in, a, in a sense, because these are very successful businessmen, but they have great kids, Yeah, great kids who are adults, and they love their father. And I think that's the ultimate test of success.
0: If you would have had, uh, you know, been married when you are 23, 25, and had a child, then do you feel like you would be as successful in your business career and done as much now? Or do you feel like it would have shifted a lot of the decisions you made in the
1: life? I last would years? love to say yes, because... Mm-hmm. People say that when you have a kid, you grind even harder. That's what I've been told. Because Gary Vee says that too. Yeah, yeah. like you grind even harder. But I'd have to say no, hmm. if I was really being honest with myself, because I had to be present because my acts are so young. I had to be present for them at that age they were and, like and that time. Yeah, and I had to be present for them. And um, I, I don't think I would have been able to do the things I needed to do at the time I was building my business. Yeah. Because now, I, what, what it took me six months before, I can do in a phone call because I've earned that. you got that, the leverage. I, it, it's even, it's you, you earn it. Yeah. You earn equity yeah. in your relationships and time and the hard work you put in. Sure. But back then, I, I had to earn it. And, uh, and I think that's actually why I wasn't ready to have a family back then because I knew mm. it wasn't the right time. Mm. But now, I'd be a complete hypocrite if I wasn't a good dad at this point. Yeah. Because if, if I can't give my kid the time he needs... At this point in my life, then everything I worked for, you know, I'd be able to. What's the point, right? Yeah. What's the point? So, but um, but at the same time, I have amazing artists and and people that I work with because we're all like a family, and they're so excited to meet my kid too, Mm. you know. And I think my child will grow up in this fabric of of these relationships. Like my artists are gonna be uncles and aunts to them. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna have a fun ride. It's gonna be it's a fun life.
0: That's cool. Yeah. What um. You talked about mentors who are your your mentors right now and do you think it's really important that everyone has a mentor or coaches? Supporting you know what? Him?
1: I think sometimes people say they have one mentor. I've never had one mentor. If I had one mentor, it'd be my father. Mm. I think I've learned more from him on how to be a man
0: yeah
1: um, and that has helped me more so in business than probably anything. So I'd say he's the ultimate mentor to me. but I have really great mentors in um in Jeffrey. Katzenberg, mm-hmm. um, who I asked, how do you get a family like this? And he gave me really great advice. He pointed a picture at his wife and he said, get one like that. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, great mentors and people like Lucy and Grange, who's the chairman of Universal Music Group, who I'm very close with, who's uh-huh. been an incredible mentor and friend. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I have people, uh, you know, just friends I draw from. But, you know, I, I read a book about David Geffen when I was 19 and that really inspired me and made me want to go into this business. Sure. And now David has become someone Who's become a mentor to me, and wow. um, someone who I can draw from. And every single time I get advice from him, whether he's yelling at me or you know sharing stories, um, I'm just appreciative because to be able to meet the people that inspired you is a really beautiful uh, and incredible thing. Yeah. Um, and especially when they um, they offer you the guidance that you always wanted from them. Yeah. Um, So you know th- those kind of people, I'm I'm eternally grateful. Yeah. Um, because I draw from people, but sometimes. I my grandfather worked in a you know my grandmother worked in a sweatshop 15 years when my dad grew up and my grandpa was a, a refugee and kind of did odd jobs and you know and I know where I come from and I think that my I was always taught you treat the CEO and the janitor the same yeah and there's a lot of wisdom you can get from all kinds of people and sometimes the best advice I've gotten from mentors is I'll be in a random country in a car with a driver
0: the cab drivers always have the best advice dude and
1: and you sometimes you'll talk to somebody <laughs> And you'll just start sharing because they're a complete stranger. Yeah, and they will give you a piece of wisdom, A little nugget, man, a little nugget. So good. Yeah, and um, it clicks with you. You're like, what? Yeah, you never know. You know, it's uh, it's the it's the Plato quote that um, made me funny enough. My wife said that's why I wanted to meet her. She tweeted it. I saw it. I wanted to meet her. But it's that idea that be kind uh, for everyone you meet walks a hard journey. Wow. Um, you know, and you never you never know where you're going to you know, get that greatness from. Sure. Um, so, That's a good word. Yeah. That's a
0: good word. <laughs> now, your dad, you said he taught you about what it means to be a man. What does it mean for you to be a man today?
1: Good husband, good father. I think everything else is secondary. I think if at the end of the day, if I die and people say, oh, you're so successful, look at everything you achieved, and my kid and wife walk up there and they say I was a piece of shit, hmm. you're a failure. But if you, if I lose everything and they walk up there and they said he was a great father, a great you husband, know. I think I'm a success.
0: And what about for someone who's not a father or a husband yet? What's the definition of being a good man?
1: Um, Being a definition of a good man to me is, uh, look, life is not black and white. There's a lot of gray. Yeah. Uh, But understand your end game. Do things with integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, Incorporate giving back into things that you do because it will, I think, it's really good karma. Yeah. Uh, In our business, everything we do has to have a charitable component. Yeah. And uh, what is the idea of being a good man? I think, the, I think the best way to be a good man is to simply live by the golden rule. Mm. You know, do unto others as you want done unto you. Sure. Um, if you just live by the golden rule, I think you'll, you'll be okay.
0: Right. And when did you decide that you wanted to have a charity component to everything that you do? Because I read this about you as well, that every investment you bring on, it's like you've got to have something involved. You in know,
1: it. I think my mother instilled that in us when we were very young. Even, yeah. uh, funny enough, it's Hanukkah. And um, when I was a kid, Hanukkah was eight days, still is, hasn't changed. <laughs> um, but my mom always said, "One day of presents, one day of charity." Oh. So we only got we got four presents, and we got four charities that we would choose as a family. And sometimes we would give money to the charity. Sometimes we would go to the soup kitchen sure. and volunteer. But we always had to have four days of charity. That was something very important to my mom. So I, in, you know, in my parties, every fourth party, I gave the money to charity. Wow. So I worked with a lot of like on campus charities and certain things That's like that. Cool. Because I always thought it made people feel, you know, oh, he's a piece of shit promoter, this, that, and the other. But they'd feel good and say, okay, well, at least he's doing this. Right. And when I started um, putting that into our business and our artists and, look, I'm really proud. I know Justin's gone through a lot of crap this year. Uh-huh. But he's the number one make-a-wish giver in history of any musician wow. ever. And he's only 20 years old.
0: That's impressive.
1: You know, so people can say what they want. But he has taken that idea of giving and dove in headfirst. And I see it with Ariana. I said Martin Garrett Listen, we went down to do Ultra. Every other DJ's party in their ass off. And these are all good guys. I'm not talking crap. But sure. I asked Martin, I said, would you mind if we did something good in the community? Miami has a lot of very poor communities. Let's go to one of these community centers and teach kids how to DJ. Hmm. And Martin went and did that. And he, at first, was like, what are we doing? You know, he's a young kid. He never done anything like that before. And he said to me afterwards, he was like, that's the most fun I've ever had. Wow. And I think that a lot of people want to give. They're just not given the opportunity and they don't know how.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean... I'm a big believer in giving and being of service, and I feel like that's a key to greatness. Hold
1: on. Let me me say something to your listeners real quick. I want you guys to understand you listen to this man's podcast all the time, but I want to tell you why I actually know this man. Because he started to do well in his life and make some money, and the first thing he did is he reached out to my brother and said, I like this charity. I want to get involved. And every single year, he builds schools. Every single year, he gives back. So when you're listening, it goes right back to... The beautiful, beautiful man sitting in front of me. Uh, yeah,
0: and there's a couple. Oh, there's a the couple pictures. Couple schools. Yeah, a couple schools that he's built. I just built one last week. So, yeah. so
1: what, what I'm saying is, feel good about what you're listening to in this podcast every week. And the reason I came to do this is because this is someone who gets it, that understands that you you get what you give. Hmm. And um and and I feel like you live the same way as I do, which yeah. is. You are probably like me. We're both very selfish individuals, <laughs> and let me say what I mean by that. Let me <laughs> I say, think I know where you're going. Yeah, listen, <laughs> you like to feel good, of course. And I think in our society, this is way off topic, so I'm sorry again. <laughs> but in our society, I think God, I'm talking a lot today. Um, in our society, I think we we get told it's okay for the CEO of a, a cigarette company to make millions of dollars, mm. but the moment someone works in a nonprofit and makes more than 100 grand. It's despicable. Yeah. So our brightest and smartest people in the world, they can't work in in the giving. We call it nonprofit. My brother calls it for, for purpose. Because yeah. why should you call it something that it isn't? You know, don't say the negative of something that's good. Say the positive. It's for yeah. purpose. It's not and against I, war. It's for peace. Hundred percent. And I think when I say that we're selfish, it's because we should tell our kids. I'm gonna tell my kid this: that you should do things that make you feel good. And drugs aren't going to make you feel good. That's right. short-lived everything else, party and drink and all that stuff. You will never feel as good as when you're giving back. Yeah. And it's okay to be selfish about that. It's okay to want to celebrate that. Sure. To say, you know what, there are the pictures of the schools I built when you walk into my house. You should feel good about that. You should be able to share that. And when people say you should only give and no one know, look, I think you should do that 50% of the time. But yeah. the other 50%, you should be giving it a way people know so it inspires others to give. To give. And I think, You know, I get off on giving. Yeah. So, you know, why not do that? Mm. It makes me feel good. If you you have a problem with me feeling good about giving, go fuck yourself.
0: Right, right. And what about, I mean, what about
1: people that say they don't have any money to give? They're, you know, maybe- You can give your time. Mm. Be nice to a stranger. Open a door. Yeah. Like, there are so many different ways to help somebody. You know, call a friend that you think, you know, unfortunately, I've lost two really close people to me to suicide, and I probably should have- picked up that phone a week earlier. And you can't blame yourself or anything like that, but you call somebody that you care about who might be going through a tough time and just speak to them. People need outlets. And there's so many different ways, you know, and things that you'll do that you don't, like years later, people have come up to me and said, hey, you did this. I don't even remember doing it. Mm. And the truth is, because it was just this little thing. And, you know, I have those people in my life where I I say to them, Steven Spielberg, I was 14 years old. I made this little documentary. Somehow someone gave it to him it was a piece of crap, 10 minute documentary. But he liked the subject and he wrote a letter to me right that changed my life. It was from Steven Spielberg. I was 14. It made me believe that I could do anything. And years later, I met Steven Spielberg and I told him, This is like a little nothing letter he wrote one day. But he, he didn't, probably forgot. Yeah, forgot. Like, who cares? You know? Funny enough, Steven Spielberg is it was crazy. He actually remembered the subject. No he way. couldn't believe that I was the kid, but he remembered the subject. But that little letter that was nothing for him changed my entire life wow so you know i think people you always hear about people you hear about big businessmen who killed themselves because they lost millions of dollars right
0: but they had a billion dollars already yeah
1: but do you ever hear about anyone working in a soup kitchen like my buddy sean stevenson who you know told me that yeah i heard him say that i thought it was so brilliant Hmm. because you never hear about people giving experience severe depression yeah you know and that's why i was talking earlier about third world countries they're happier than us so happy because they're giving to each other, they're experiencing things, and you know, we we we're the only creature on the planet that takes more than we need, mm. um, and that's fine. There's a lot of fun you can have with that. Trust me. You know, I enjoy art. I probably don't need every piece of art, but you know, I enjoy it. Um, I heard
0: you have a Mickey Mouse sculpture or something. You got?
1: I just love Mickey Mouse, man. <laughs> I love it. Walt Disney. I saw it on your wall, you and like I loved that? it. Do you like that? But yeah, I'll let you ask your questions now because I'm talking too much. No, that's so. good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're sharing. Are we doing okay, guys? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm cool. I'm
0: glad you're. I'm glad you're sharing. I want to talk about, I mean, service for me is very important. Can I get too. a t shirt too? You're I've done. got one uh, laid out for you right behind you. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll shut up now. I got my t shirt,
1: <laughs> my free swag.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a great workout shirt sure, to play basketball in. Talk about building relationships and building teams. You're a master at giving to people, adding value, and building relationships. And do you believe that you can build something so big or build an empire? Without a powerful team, or without empowering others around you and supporting a no.
1: team. No, no, I think it was actually one of the hardest things for me because for the first, um, for the f- sorry, um, for the first seven eight years, I really built it, you know, on my own. Yeah. Um, and then with Allison Kay, my first, she's my GM now. You know, she was the first person that ever came work to me, and it was, you know, I didn't even have an office till three years ago. We oh, built the whole thing like virtually. on laptops yeah. and cell phones and traveling around the world and hotels and buses and planes. But what I realize now is. No one will ever do it exactly the way you want because no one is you. Right. And that doesn't mean that you do it better. It means the way you want it, you're the only one who can do that because you're you. And what you need to be okay with in scaling is saying... You know what? They might drop the ball because when you drop the ball, you know it's you. It doesn't bother you as much. When someone else does, you go crazy. But it affects you. Yeah, but you, you got to realize to, the only way to scale is to delegate and to empower others and mm. to say, you know what? They're not going to do it exactly like me, but they're going to do exactly like them. Sure. And I have to be okay with that. And in fact, they might do it better than me in the long run. Mm. And I've been able to bring in some amazing people in my life and surround myself with people I think who are skilled in ways that I'm not. Sure. And we've been able to scale an incredible business because- they make things happen. Scott Manson,
0: hmm.
1: who works with me, um, he is responsible for Scorpion. You know, him and a guy named Danny Rose. But Scott found Walter. Um, he believed in it. Uh, he got me to understand it. Hmm. But it was his baby. And if it wasn't for Scott, I would not be executive producing a TV show right now. You know, it was and you
0: have another one coming up, right? Yeah, we have I'm we have signed. we have a
1: couple others. Um, but uh <laughs> but that's also because the people in the business who are scaling, I just really smart cable people who believe in what we're doing. And I believe in them. And, you know, sometimes they'll drop the ball. Sometimes I'll drop the ball, but you have to, you know, that's the same idea as when we play basketball. It's like, Mm. you know, sometimes you're going to make a great assist and the guy's going to miss that easy shot. And you're going to be frustrated because that was another assist for you on your stat line. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it isn't about our stat line. It's about winning the game Mm. and you cannot win a game on your own.
0: Everyone, unless everyone wins,
1: unless you're Will Chamberlain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, is the bet, or how do you empower your team to raise to the next level, to get the most out of them? Uh, what are some things you do to let them know they are appreciated, they're
1: seen? One, I think uh, you have to you have to empower them. You have to let them know that people can't call you and go around them, even if you agree. You have a private conversation, and say, "Look, this is how I want you to deal with this." Mm. But you have to let people know that they're the end all be all on that decision, on the thing that you've given them. The task you've given them—they're the ones who will decide how it's going to go down. You'll advise, you can take part, but it's their decision at the end because so then give them ownership. Yeah, give them ownership, make them bosses. Yeah. Let them know that you will believe in anything that they dream of once, hmm. maybe twice. But if it fails, then they start to have a reputation, and then you got to reassess things. But if they say, "Look, you know, I—I I know you're not really sure about this, but just give me a shot," that's how I got started. Someone, hmm. Steve Rifkin, gave me a shot with Asher Roth. Didn't understand it at first. Everything else, he gave me a shot. And then we went on a great ride together. Wow. L.A. Reid gave us a shot. You know, Maybe right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, I mean, we built that kind of huge on online anyway <laughs> sure, beforehand. Sure. But, you know, it's you you have to give people that shot because you are in the position you are in because someone else gave mm. you a shot.
0: And how do you find the right people?
1: The right people? How do you them?
0: find people that are, you know, going to make a difference that are going to step up? and?
1: OK, so so I'm a firm believer that. It's more important to have positive energy around you than the smartest people. Mm. Now, luckily, I've been able to have, in my opinion, some of the smartest people around me. And positive. And positive. But that's <laughs> actually more important. I learned that lesson the hard way because I had some negative in my life before. And you start to question yourself because negativity projects onto you. Mm. You start to look in the mirror and say, you know, am I a really good person? Am I doing the right thing? And that isn't you. That's their bullshit feeding onto you. Sure. You know, there's this um, this scientific study I read recently. Funny enough, our friend Sophia Bush uh-huh. put this online. About the idea that the heart creates an eight-foot eight um, pulse. Of energy. Of energy. Wow. And you know the brain creates, I think, five feet pulse, but the heart actually is eight feet.
0: And you can feel it. You
1: can. So when you, when someone walks in a room and you say, wow, that person walked in a room and I felt their energy, that's actually a real thing. Huh. Um, so when someone has negative energy, it's going too. to bring you down. Wow. Um, so I think it's more important to get loyal people, people that love you, people that surround yourself, and they'll say, you asked me how you create a good team. They say don't mix business with pleasure. I absolutely think the opposite. I think that's BS. I think if someone cares about you and when it's 11 o'clock at night and they need to spend an extra hour in the office to get it done, mm-hmm. they're going to stay because they care about you. Sure. Because they know you give a shit about them. Mm. And I think that is how you create a really good business because in today's world, you got like you're going to have to make tough decisions. You're going to have to be a boss. You're not their best friend. If you believe in someone, they'll believe in you. Sure.
0: Interesting. What about your daily rituals? Do you have any that are like you feel like everyone should be following? Do
1: you take I a piss? take a piss. <laughs> I take a piss every I mean, morning. To I brush build, my teeth. a build positive piss. habits, a I mean. bit no, of a positive habit. You a to pee in the morning. It's very important. You got to clean out. bit of a little bit of a little bit of a My buddy, John a gave me of a poster of a little of a actually introduced me to my wife. Great director. Yeah. Um, we've done a couple projects together now.
0: We played cards against humanity at your wife's house before you were engaged. Yeah, with John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's a just great guy. He gave me a poster um, for a housewarming gift for my last house of Steve Jobs' speech. You know the commencement speech? No, 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 the one the, fa- the, one? the famous speech from the commercial.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And
1: that John knows by heart. You know about uh, about the type of people in the world.
0: Yes, the movers, the shakers, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like it's the-
1: you know the um, God. I'm going blank. I'm having a brain fart right now. I, I usually know it but it's it's this idea that uh that the dreamers in this the world misfits, right? you know I mean, the misfits the yeah. dreamers that you know they're the ones who achieve you know it's this idea that nothing kind of the way i like to put it um is uh and i've heard it from other friends is you know nothing um reasonable ever becomes great it's the unreasonable things that become great you know it's stepping out of that status quo and yeah. you know i think that is part of my ritual I actually put it up in my above my toilet because I well, say I pee every morning, because well, I do go. pee every That's morning. Perfect. So I actually put that poster up above my toilet. And in mm-hmm. my new house, I told them, you have to install this above the toilet. <laughs> and um, you know, when I go to pee every morning, I I just read it one more time mm-hmm. and I remind myself, okay, let's go out in the world and and do cool shit.
0: Yeah, I, I watched your interview with uh, Sean Stevenson you talked about. You said never be realistic. You have the you have to be unrealistic unrealistic to achieve something great. And I think you stole that from Will Smith. I did. Um, and a couple other people. But, a couple yeah. other people said the same thing, but that's cool
1: I still a lot of things man <laughs> okay no, <laughs> no look I think I think the most great ideas have already been thought because yeah. we've been here a long time and we say them in different ways but um that's okay we have to draw from the wisdom of the past and I think too many times yeah. we try to create 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 and and what you should do is innovate mm. you know it's it's all been kind of laid out for us just innovate and create the new idea off of something great.
0: Recreate the idea in some way. Yeah,
1: it's, you know, how many songs have someone created the guitar and then we've created so much beautiful music off the guitar. Sure. So, um, you know, it's innovate with what you're given.
0: Mm, I like that. A couple questions left for you because I know you got to move houses. What are you most grateful for recently, Scooter?
1: Oh, my family. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting a family. That's an easy, easy mm. answer. It's a wild feeling to know that three years ago, I, I didn't know if this would ever happen to me. Because I think someone um, probably like yourself as well, if you say to us, hey, I'm um, going to have a mission for you and there's 0.0001% chance you'll achieve it, I will smile and say, where do I sign up? Because the idea, <laughs> cause the idea that it's so hard but yeah. there is an answer is exciting for me yeah. and I know I'm going to figure it out because that's actually a task that you're telling me it's achievable, it's just hard. Okay, I think I, I can do that. Sure. Falling in love, finding the right person, starting a family, that there is no 0. 0001 It is either happens to you or it doesn't. And that's something very frustrating for someone like me because I want to go and create my own destiny. Sure, But that isn't, you know, it's either given to you or it isn't. And I think that if you live well and you're a good person, you'll find that. And I was very blessed to have found, I actually told my wife on our first date, I was going to marry her. Wow. Um, That's ballsy. Yeah. She actually, she asked me, what's the scariest thing about yourself? You don't want me to know. And about (laughs) 10 minutes earlier, I had this feeling about her and I said, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I think you're it. And now we're having a child together. We're madly Mm -hmm. in love, and I will say the most grateful thing in my life is to have beautiful friends and family in my life. Mm. I, I, you know, I used to hate my birthdays because when they came, I felt like I hadn't achieved everything that I wanted. Mm. And I think my thirtieth birthday and every birthday since, my buddy Kenny's in the room, and he's been with me since like the ATL days. Of course, Um, you know, every birthday I look around the room and I see all those friends and the people in my life and my family, and I'm just so grateful. Mm. So, so yeah, friends and family.
0: I love it. What is something small you've done that maybe no one really knows about that you're really proud of? It could be a personal or business related, but something small that you've done that you haven't talked about or hasn't been you know blown up by Bieber. But you're like, <laughs> and I'm really proud of this moment.
1: You know, the thing I would like to say, I'm proud because no one knows, and I'd want to keep it that way. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you one that makes me proud, but it isn't that the thing because mm-hmm. the things that usually make me really proud that no one knows. I take pride in the fact that no one knows and I'll go to my grave with them. Maybe I'll tell my kids. um,
0: Something that only a few people know.
1: (laughs) You know, look, I actually, here's something that, you know, I don't, maybe, I don't know. It's not really what you're expecting, but I really enjoy the achievements of others at this point. Hmm. When, you know, my artists achieve something for the first time. I, I get a real joy out of that. Yeah. Um, I get a joy out of seeing my younger managers get their first platinum plaque. Mm. Um, because I, I got that a long time ago. And that first time, I'll never get back, but I get to live it through them. So, you know, I think the the little things that I get joy out of don't seem like they should be that significant. But I right. get serious, serious joy out of them because they aren't mine. Um, but I get to relive that moment through someone else's joy. mm so yeah, I, like that that's cool.
0: What are the three biggest moments in your business career that gave you the most excitement over the last 10, 12 years?
1: Once again, a lot of those are things I can't talk about. Okay. <laughs>
0: well, let me say the, ga- the game changers. You know,
1: like I'm saying, some of those game changers are deals that you pull off sure. where, you know, it's out of confidentiality to your sure. clients. You can never tell anybody, uh-huh. but it's that, it's that, that chess game of getting it done. That's so exciting. Of course. Look, I think a game changer for me that I can talk about was um, getting Asher's record deal and publishing deal. That was a game changer for my business to help finance everything else and getting to pull that off. And it was the first deal for my own company. That was huge. Yeah. Getting, uh, when Justin, when they're chanting his name, his first time he played the garden during the Z 100 show. Wow. And he hadn't been on stage and every, between every actor, chanting Justin, Justin, and, like, everybody just wanted him on stage. So there are lots of other acts beforehand. Oh, yeah. And they like, were just changing. John him. Mayer ended his set early because he goes, I know what you guys no want. No way. Yeah, it was pretty wild. And it was funny. He was funny about it. But um, but I remember that because my mom, who I never graduated college and it broke her heart, leaned over to me and said, tonight's my graduation. Oh, my gosh. Um, that just and, me chills. And it meant a lot to me because it finally, my mom understood that I was achieving something and I was going to be okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Justin, you know, that experience with Justin gave me that. And I told Justin about it. I was like, I'm eternally grateful for you because you gave me that opportunity to have that moment with my mother. And then another big game changer in business. I mean, there have been a lot of them. Um, it seems like every day you've got a big hit now, <laughs> a big game changer. I think a big game changer in business for me, I'm trying to, cause there's been a lot of moments. <laughs> there's been a lot of moments, but I can't really talk about it a lot. Maybe some the last couple of years, you know, was, was Steve Rifkin. Steve Rifkin, you know, I said Jermaine gave me an opportunity. No one would give me a record deal. I, LA gave me the record deal also because I was being I was very successful at Asher at that point. So he wanted to be in business with me. But when I had Asher Roth, I was known as a young marketing guy. And people said, what do you know about A&R signing your own acts? And I was really the one building acts at So People didn't know that. Yeah. And Steve Rifkin literally took a shot on me that no one else would. Mm. I mean, I had so many friends in the industry. I had made so many people money and no one would give me a record deal. And Steve Rifkin did, and I. Uh,
0: why do you think he? What did he see in you that made him want to give you a chance?
1: I talked earlier about sometimes you got to give people a shot because you believe in them. Because someone else gave you a shot, and I think Steve saw that in me, and he gave me that opportunity. And I and I and I want to say this because I want the whole world to know this. This is the kind of man Steve Rifkin is, and why I will always, always say he's the shit and he is the man. Last year, uh, I was planning right after New Year's to propose to my wife, and I was overseas. And I got word that Steve Rifkin had had a heart attack. Hmm. And now he's gotten much healthier and he's in a really good place. And when I found out, he had already had the heart attack 10 days earlier, but I was overseas, so I didn't know. So I called from my beautiful little villa overseas. I'm hanging out with my wife, loving my wife now, but my soon-to-be fiance at that point, loving my life. And I call this guy in the hospital to make sure he's okay. And he gets on the phone and he goes, wow, I'm so glad you called I've written an email to you seven times and erased it seven times. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, at this point in my career, after Wu-Tang, after Big Pun, after all the things I've done, I feel like giving you a shot and being associated with you is one of the biggest things I've ever done in my career. And I said, Steve, that's very nice. You don't need to say that. He goes, no, you need to hear what I'm saying. He goes, Scooter, I have three beautiful children and I had a stroke, you know, I had a heart attack and I almost died and I've been, I was in ICU and everything else and he goes, All I kept thinking about when I thought about different things, I kept going back to you and saying, I don't want to ever see him in this hospital bed. Wow. And I never want to see him put himself into a place where he's not taking care of himself and this happens to him. So Scooter, all of it isn't important if you don't take care of yourself and if you're not there for your kids. Because if I would have lost my life, my kids would have grown up without their father. And here I was, I get emotional thinking about it. I'm enjoying with my beautiful, Mm. smart woman, a vacation. This guy's in a hospital bed. He's more worried about me. Wow. And that is a testament to the type of person he is. Mm. And I was shook that entire night. I couldn't sleep because I kept thinking about that. You know, I want to be that kind of man that thinks about others the way he thought about me. And I will not only did he give me a, sh- a chance, he's continued to believe in me. Mm. And I will, uh, I will always, always be grateful. And I will always be a friend of Steve Rifkin because he's just a great man, a great father and a great friend.
0: Mm. I love that. Couple final things. First, I want to acknowledge you, Scooter. You are, a uh, you're, you're playing such a big game in the world and your heart is so big. I don't think people know this much about <laughs> you, but your heart is so big. You give and give and give. And I want to acknowledge you for the vision you have. You have incredible vision and you have a gift of seeing something before it's actually created and then making it happen and doing whatever it takes. And I think if more people followed you and learned how you do this, they would all learn a lot about how to be successful in their own lives. So I just want to acknowledge you for showing up so big in the world every single day for showing up for your family, for your brother, for your uh, siblings, your parents, and all your friends. Like I watch it from afar. I hear about it every now and then, you know, you just do so much for the world and I acknowledge you for that. So Thanks I man. Thank I appreciate that. that. Yeah. Thanks man. What do you want your legacy to be when it's all said and done? Wow. That's a tough
1: question. When it's all said and done, like I said, I hope they look back and say I was good dad and mm. good grandpa, all that different stuff. Good, good husband. I hope people feel like what you just said, that would be a good legacy for me. Thing like, you know, the idea of why not, you know, you know, the worst thing in life that's going to happen to you when you try something is it doesn't work. Yeah. So go after your dreams, especially when you're young. And I feel like until you have children, you can live for yourself and you can be as aggressive about your dreams selfish. as you want. Yeah. yeah. Be selfish about your dreams. Yeah. And, um, when you have a child, you have to understand now you're living for them and you have to be more conservative. But while you're young, all these young people who listen to you, because I know yeah. they do, my advice to them is very simple. Go after it while it's just about you. Yeah. Because the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna fail. And guess what? You get to wake up tomorrow and start again. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot better than most people are. Sure. Um, so you know, I think I want my legacy to be something about positivity and just, mm. you know, one of my mentors is right. Most likely hundred years from now, no one's gonna remember my name. Mm. But I hope that I did enough in this world that they'll feel my impact.
0: Mm, that's powerful that gave me chills um final question mm-hmm. what i ask all my guests at the end yeah what's your definition of greatness
1: you no. <laughs> <laughs> um you're like i'll take it cut off the interview <laughs> um my definition of greatness is um so i posted something on my instagram the other day uh-huh. did you read about the dogs i'm sure I okay do. so it's this uh check it out I, I i'm trying to remember it but it was something about you know that two dogs walk into this house and um one comes out happy wagging its tail and the other one comes out growling and nasty. Mm-hmm. And this woman is really confused about it. they both walked into the same house like what the hell just happened. <laughs> so she walks in and she sees the house is filled with mirrors. And she realized that one dog saw a reflection of himself filled with happiness and he came out happier cuz he saw a thousand happy dogs looking at him. Wow. And the other dog walked in and was miserable and saw a thousand angry dogs and it lifted his you know his anger and he walked off pissed off. And I think my definition of greatness is the idea of of giving with positivity. And you know, it's it's not enough to just go out there and give. You got to give in a way to the world that you know makes it better than where you left it. And um, so the my idea of being great is, you know, I work with somebody named Brad Haugen, who you know, yeah, it's a great Brad's guy. a great guy. A great guy. You know, and and he's a great father, great friend, and everyone who meets him, he just he leaves them better off than when, where they were before he got there, uh, and I think Brad's a great man in that respect. So my definition of being great is is pushing your limits as far as they can possibly go, and never stopping, wanting to add positivity, mm. and then leaving a place better off than where you found it. It's good, bond. Thanks for coming on, my man. I appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that was fun. It. I'm gonna go back and help my wife unpack. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Scooter Braun and a couple years back I had the pleasure of becoming friends with a guy named Lewis Howes. We went and played some basketball and I found out about his podcast School of Greatness and I became a listener. It's one of the best podcasts out there and it's truly inspirational hearing him talk to all these individuals and I would say to anyone going out in the world trying to do something great, make the time, listen to School of Greatness, it's worth it. Lewis Howes, great guy, good friend.
0: Thank you guys so much again for checking out this episode with Scooter Braun. Make sure to check out all the show notes back at lewishouse.com slash 127. Also to see the full video interview, that'll be up at the show notes at lewishouse.com slash 127 as well. We'll have other links to connect with Scooter on social media, his websites, uh, all the different projects he's up to. We'll also have the link to the episode with Adam Braun, his brother, where I originally got introduced to Scooter, so you can learn more about that brotherly dynamic. Really appreciate Scooter for coming on and sharing his wisdom. Uh, Very busy guy, so big uh, shout out and thanks to Scooter for coming on and opening up and letting us all know about how he's been so successful and what he's doing now. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs will be able to connect and it'll resonate with many of you who listen to this on a daily basis. So, Make sure to give him a shout out at Scooter Braun over on Twitter and Instagram or everywhere else online. Let him know what you thought about this show. Also, make sure to, to email a friend or two today about this episode. Again, lewishouse.com slash 127. Or if you go over on iTunes, you can go there and share the episode directly from iTunes to a friend. You can email, you can tweet, you can uh, Facebook share it. So go ahead and get the word out about this because Scooter is an extremely inspiring individual and I wanna make sure to get his message out there. Thank you again, all of you, so much for what you're up to. I keep getting messages constantly from people who are listening to the show. We've got three episodes a week now, every Monday, every Wednesday, and now we've got Five Minute Fridays to get you kicked off for the weekend got some big things planned ahead so make sure to subscribe please leave a review and continue to share these episodes with your friends you guys are the ones that make this so great so thank you guys again so much for coming on big shout out and thanks to scooter again for sharing his wisdom and opening up and you guys know what time it is it's time to go out there and do something great It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash L-E-W-I-S.